0: Every week, we will share principles from the Word of God, interviews, and encouragement in order to strengthen your voice. Thank you for joining me today. And now here is today's podcast. The title of this message tonight is Accepting the Rejected. Accepting the Rejected. You know, one of the most darkest experiences that any one of us have ever had has been when we felt rejected. Anybody know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Rejection, abandonment. Maybe you were abandoned by your parents or one of your parents or friends who you thought were your friends and they rejected you. Maybe there's been times in your life where you felt ashamed because what people said about you. You were compared to somebody else and yet it hurts you. Words can hurt. Experiences can hurt. You know, people shaming you for the way that you look or the way that you talk or the way that you do something. Maybe you don't do it like they do. Or somebody else does. We're one of the things that we struggle with in our sinful nature. And all of us are born into sin. And we all have to be born again in order to be set free from the nature of sin. And when we're born again, we have to learn how to live the life of the Spirit. A life of purity, a life of integrity, a life of holiness. A life of not comparing ourselves to each other. You see, it's easy to compare ourselves to one another because we can see each other. But it's difficult for us to compare ourselves with God because we do not always see God. But it's through the eyes of faith And this is why the Lord says without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Because you may not see God physically with your eyes. I know some people said they've had visions and dreams. They've had encounters where they saw Jesus. And I I believe those things still happen today. Do you believe that? I believe it. But even Jesus said in John 17 that those who have yet to see Him, and He was talking about you and I, who didn't get to see Jesus in His three and a half years of ministry. We knew He grew up in Israel, and at around 30 years old He started His ministry. And then for three, three and a half years, He was fully out there teaching parables, working signs, wonders, and miracles. Casting out demons, healing the sick, raising the dead. If that's what Jesus did, then he's our example. And then he died and rose again to defeat the power of sin and death. And he has sat at the right hand of the Father ever since he ascended to heaven over 2,000 years ago. And he has lived to make intercession for you and I. So Jesus has been in a consistent 24-7 posture of prayer for you and me. What is Jesus praying for? He is praying that his anointing, his grace, his word would be conformed in your image. That through your new nature in Jesus Christ, you would become one with him. And there would be this fire that would burn on the inside. I tell you, I feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost tonight. There would be this power that would be evidence in and through your life and you would have clarity. You would have understanding of the will of the Lord for your life. You would hear the voice of God and you would be so consumed that that all-consuming fire of God that you may not be able to see with your eyes. You know it lives inside of you. And so it becomes fruitless for you anymore to try to compare yourself to your neighbor whom you can see. And you start to realize that my life is not about trying to look good in front of everybody else who I could see, but it's to look good to the one and only who I cannot see. Amen. Amen. And when He becomes our value, and He lives in us, He takes up residence in us, there's no temple anymore. It's been destroyed for over 2,000 years. And the Jews are still looking to rebuild the temple. They're they're believing that somehow there's going to be a breakthrough and their Messiah will come for the first time. But we know he's already come. And now he doesn't live in temples made by men anymore. He lives in the hearts of you and me. We are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the ones that are to demonstrate the kingdom, to reveal to this rejected world that Jesus is saying, I love you and I want to accept you. Amen. Let me give you some quotes about rejection. Ed Stetzer once said, Those who have been silenced... Rejected through silence. You ever feel that? Will naturally seek out some other community where they can find a solve or a healing for their identity pain. Why do people turn to gangs? Well, oftentimes it's because their family is messed up. And so the gang seems to be a type of replacement for family or sports. Or something that they can feel like they're a part of that makes them feel welcomed, and honored, and respected. See, every one of us desire that. But if we do not allow Jesus to heal our hearts, then we're going to go look for it in some other place. Maybe a relationship that God has not ordained for you and I to be involved with. That's why the scripture says, seek first. kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, then all these things that are important to you, which are also important to God, will be added to you. He said, in these instances we have seeded our opportunity for gospel mission to the world. We have ended. We have given up our opportunity. Driving those who need King Jesus into the kingdom, other kingdoms, that don't give life and do not satisfy. How many of you know there's the kingdom of heaven and there's a kingdom of darkness? And then the kingdom of darkness, it's very welcoming at first. Why don't don't you come over here? You know, those Christians, they don't care about you. They don't, they don't really love you like they say they did. You remember when you got rejected when you went to that church? You remember how you didn't feel like the pastor paid attention to you? Or you weren't chosen for the worship team? or some, There's so many things that we experience that cause us to become offended with one another. And we become offended because we feel rejected. The sad truth is that while these other communities will offer love, they cannot provide the healing that the good news of the gospel does. Let me read one more. It's from Lysa Lysa Turks. She said, Rejection has long ties pulling the pain of yesterday into situations today. What felt hopeless yesterday will feed a hopelessness into today unless we cut those ties. So if you felt hopelessness from pain of yesterday and you do not come to Jesus to allow him to heal you and set you free from that past hopelessness, depression, shame, guilt, right, fear... If you do not let him, he's the only one who can set us free. If we don't allow him to do that, then it will become a dictator. Hopelessness will become a dictator to us. You know why people don't pray? You know why people don't read the word of God? It's not only because they're not hungry. It's because they are not convinced that coming to Jesus and giving him everything actually works. Some people feel like God has rejected them. And we know that is not true. But my point is this, is that rejection and abandonment are extremely powerful forces of the enemy that seek to destroy any hope and plans that God has for your life. Because if he can cut you down early on, then he can stop an awakening in the nation. Amen. Amen. Jesus experienced what rejection was like. See, I have a beautiful plant here. Isn't it nice? I have a nice flower here. Isn't that a nice arrangement? I didn't make it. <laughs> I'm not that good. But it's pretty. So I wanted to do this all day long. And I'm on the way driving here today and i think where am i going to get a flower so i'm praying lord i need to find a flower and it's getting dark and it's about 5 p.m. 5:15 and i pass the church i turn right to go down to the uh, funeral home all right you know, we think you could maybe find flowers at the funeral actually i was looking for flowers that nobody was using anymore so so I see a guy and he's open flower shop I said this is the Lord so I go inside and I said I need a flower in a pot that's not something they normally do and I need soil do you have it and he says I have it so he made this for me so and then I got here five minutes late sorry Maki listen to this can you come here bro Help me out here. I'm going to have you hold this mic for me. Just come on this side. Isaiah 53. So this flower to me looks like and represents Jesus. It's beautiful. How many of you know Jesus is beautiful? He's perfect. He's holy. There's no sin in him. Everything he does is righteous. There has never been a time that Jesus ever sinned. He never broke a command. He never lied. He never cheated. He never stole. He never dishonored his parents. He never allowed a negative thought to become a sinful thought. It's pretty spectacular. But he's the only one who could do that. Because he was not born in a sin like you and I are. Do you know what it means to have an immaculate conception? It means that Mary, when the seed of who Jesus was was placed inside her womb, it was not by her husband, it was by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, although fully God, is also fully man. He's the God man, He's the one who became perfect like this flower. But we're going to read Isaiah 58 or 53 because something happened to Jesus that he willingly allowed to take place himself. I'm going to move this forward just a little bit. So it says he was despised and forsaken by men. Now I'm reading from the Amplified Classic Version. It says he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and pain. He was acquainted with grief and sickness, like one who men hid their faces from. And we did not appreciate his worth. Surely he has borne our griefs, our sickness, our weaknesses, our distresses, and carried our sorrows and pains of punishment. Yet we ignorantly considered him stricken and afflicted by God. as if with leprosy. That's the meaning. But he was wounded for our transgressions. I feel this. He was bruised for our guilt and our iniquities, our sin. The chastisement, the discipline, the punishment that was necessary for you and me. He took upon Himself. And being, and and He took upon our well-being what was upon Him. And by His stripes, we were healed. That doesn't look the same, does it? That doesn't look as beautiful as it did before. But here's the good thing. Scripture says that Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. He says, I am the Lord. I do not change. When we talk about the crucifixion, my friend, it wasn't just something bad that Jesus felt. No, he was separated from his father. He endured. There's a fragrance I could smell from this. Can you smell that? You know why? Because he was cut down. And when he was broken open, there was a fragrance that was released into this world that this world has not felt or smelt since the time of Adam and Eve, where everything was perfect. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, we're going to actually read from chapter 16. I'm just going to read a couple of scriptures here. But right before this, Saul was made king. God wanted to be Israel's king himself. And Samuel, who was the prophet and the last of the judges of Israel, Heard Israel say, we want a king like other nations. See, they wanted to look like everybody else. Why? Because they were enduring rejection and abandonment. You see, to be a Jew throughout history, you have gone through horrible persecution. The most persecuted people group in the history of the world has been the Jewish people. So it was necessary for Jesus to endure such rejection. He had to understand what it was like to endure the pain and rejection that sin brings to each one of our lives. But what Israel did not recognize was that God had a plan to send the Messiah who would suffer for them. And give everything away for them so that they can be free and experience his beauty in their own life. God had allowed Saul to become the first king in Israel's history. He was a head taller than everybody else. He was very handsome. He was somebody that we would look upon and say, that makes a great politician. And at first, he seemed to be doing everything right. He was even with the prophets, prophesying with the prophets at one point. But then Saul, being not only taller physically, but feeling the the strength and the admiration of the people, they're valuing him almost like a god. Got to his head. And caused him to think that he was better, and didn't do the need to do the things that God wanted him to do. In fact, he thought he could do it his way. And so God, at one point in First uh, Samuel 15. He tells him to destroy the Amalekites for what they did to Israel and how they ambushed them on the way they came up from Egypt. And that he was to go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy everything. Everybody and all of the animals as well. And so they went down there to do what they were supposed to do. And yet, Saul had a better thought, so he thought, than what God told him to do. Listen, friend, when God tells you to do something, you do it. Even if you don't fully understand everything. And of course, God is not going to tell you to do anything outside of his word. His word is our established authority. But Saul wanted to do something more. You know, people... I heard somebody talking about the Book of Enoch. And while there may be interesting historical things from the Book of Enoch, it is not included in the canonization of the Bible. So therefore, it is not Scripture. But some people say, well, we don't like what the Bible says, and we like what the book of Enoch says. And so we're going to accept that as if it's inspired by God. But they're not the ones who God chose to put the Bible together. (laughs) And see, the pride of man is always trying to think that there's a better way other than what God's given us. And so... We know that Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father but through me. He also said that I am the word that became flesh. And so how he has revealed himself to us by coming to this earth and through his word is all that you and I need to know. Saul thought there was another way. And so he did not do what... God told him to. He allowed King Agag, king of the Amalekites, to stay alive, and he kept back some of the best sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, and the lambs, all that was good, instead of destroying it all like God told him to. And now in verse 10, 1 Samuel 15, it says, The word of the Lord came to Samuel. God said, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. Now, does that mean that God made a mistake? No. When he chose Saul, he was doing what he was supposed to do. But God gives you and me a will. An ability, ability to choose Should I obey God or do it my way or do it the way that somebody else tells me to do it? We always have that choice every single day. You know why? Because God loves you. He didn't have to do that, my friend. He's God. He is the highest authority. There is no other name under heaven. He is King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. The first and the last. He's never been created. He will never die. And so if he says do something, you don't come up with your own way of doing things. See, this is how evil our flesh is. And this is how destructive the spirit of rejection and abandonment is. Because it makes you feel like you're a victim and that you deserve for other people to do for you what wasn't done for you originally. And if people don't take notice of you and value you and honor you and you don't get what some other people that you know were able to receive. And you feel rejected and you think I'm just going to do it my way. You know who said that? Frank Sinatra. (laughs) I did it my way. You know what? I guarantee you, he wishes he never wrote that song. It's true. But this is our problem. Our problem is not everybody else. Our problem is us. Amen. That's a little hard to admit. Because it's easy to blame your neighbor. So if they don't honor you, if they don't receive you, they reject you. You know what you do? You just reject them back. Is that the gospel? Is that what Jesus would do? No, of course not. He was despised and rejected by men. And then when he was on the cross with nails through his hands and his feet, a crown of thorns, inches deep into his skull, he was whipped and beaten, marred beyond description. What did he say on that cross? Father, forgive them. I don't know that I could have done that. If you threw me in jail for something that I didn't do, and I was falsely accused, I would probably want to fight for my rights. I need to hire a lawyer, right? I'm not saying we shouldn't defend ourselves if what we're doing is living righteously, and we're falsely accused, you can stand up for the truth and not have to submit to lies and accusations. But look at what Jesus did. He allowed himself to be physically tortured, dehydrated, hungry, naked, and dying and marred upon that cross in front of all people to see, including his own mother. When he could have said, angels, come, and destroyed everybody who came against him. He could have. but he didn't do that. First Samuel 15:22 through23. So Samuel said, "Has the Lord a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Whew. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. So when God rejected Saul, was he righteous in doing that? Yes, he was, because he's the authority. And Saul did not do what he told him to do. And so Saul did his own thing. And because of this, God says, I reject you as king. Now, Saul could have been repentant. But he was not. In fact, we see that Saul has a major anger problem. So that when God chooses someone else, King David, who we're going to read about in just a moment... He's jealous. He could have lived his life in humility and brokenness. But see, we don't like that. We like being looked upon as strong and important and valued by other people. Don't you know who I am? I am missionary Eric Miller. (laughs) We always think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. But Jesus, the Son of God... God incarnate willingly laid his life down and didn't fight back. And he became the most victorious man in history through humility, through brokenness, through death to self. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. I'm not involved with witchcraft. Well, did you dishonor your parents today? No, it's not like that. Oh, it's not. So are you now dictating what the law is and what it's not? Because here's the problem. God made these laws. And he's perfect. And you and I are not. So either we look at them and say, there's no way I can obey them. I need help. Or we think, I'm going to become my own law. That's what happened to the devil and that didn't work out good for him. You know, some rejection we experience, we inherit from our sinful nature. Some rejection we experience, we receive from those in authority. Pastors, spiritual leaders, parents, teachers, coaches. There could be anybody who rejects us. Some rejection we experience, we encounter from friends, people that we trusted. Some we experience, rejection we experience, we inflict upon ourselves. Our own disobedience leads to deception. I don't need God, I can do it my way. Some rejection we experience, we fight from the enemy because he hates us. And if you call yourself a son or a daughter of God, He wants you to feel rejection so that you will not become used by God to tear down His kingdom. Some rejection we experience, we allow offenses to fester in our heart. And time does not heal unforgiveness. You say, Eric, this sounds so difficult. It is. Because sin is evil. It leads to death. And what Jesus endured for you and me was a horrible price. And we don't have the right to say, God, do it my way. Those who know Jesus has chosen them will care for those struggling with the darkness of rejection. The personal revival of accepted people illuminates the way for rejected people to know that they too can be accepted in Christ. What does that mean? It means that if you receive forgiveness and you are set free from rejection then you understand and identify with the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And your outlook now is no longer through the eyes of rejection and abandonment but acceptance and love. And your desire now is to go find those living in darkness and reveal to them there's forgiveness, there's freedom, there's hope. You don't have to find your identity in rejection. Jesus took your rejection upon himself and shed his blood so that you and I could be free forever. Hallelujah. First Samuel 16 and then we'll close. Starting in verse 1, I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? God's saying, Samuel, I know you feel bad about things that have happened, but I'm not rejected you. have rejected him. You know, sometimes when we're in close proximity to other people who allow rejection to become their identity, it can also become our identity if we're not careful. Hello. We have to guard our hearts. We have to guard our thoughts. We have to fight the good fight of faith. We have to learn how to be a man or a woman of prayer. We have to learn how to let the word of God be established in our heart. Because by doing so, we become light and we become hope to those around us. And God is saying, look Samuel, this wasn't your fault. Just because somebody else I have rejected doesn't mean I'm rejecting you because you have chosen to do things my way. He said, fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? Look, he's afraid of Saul. And he's having this conversation with God, the king of the universe. If Saul hears it, he'll kill me. You see, Samuel was not bound to the slavery of rejection. But he was struggling with the temptation of it. You don't have to be bound by rejection, but you will be tempted by it. And how you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you and you respond to God and his authority in your life will determine if you will continue to walk in freedom, even if others around you do not walk in freedom. That's a good word. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he'll kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you. And say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show you what you should do. You shall anoint for me the one that I name to you. Just do what I'm asking you to do. Don't worry about what other people think. Hello. Do what I'm asking you to do. You want to know the will of God for your life? Do what God's convicting you to do. Don't ignore it. Don't push it aside. Don't say it belongs to somebody else, not for me. But respond to conviction. Even if you have to do it over and over and over again. One of the great things I learned during the Pensacola revival is that every night there was a repentance message. And I would listen to that preacher, Steve Hill, preach passionate m- messages on repentance. And I would often feel convicted in my heart. And I thought, God, I've been going up every night this week. And I go to the altar again. Father, change my heart. And that's why my favorite scripture is Matthew 3, verse 8. John the Baptist said, produce fruit while keeping with repentance. You see, repentance is a lifestyle. It's not a one-time event. You may start with repentance, but if you want to continue in obedience, repentance must become your lifestyle. And it's not repentance without hope. We turn away from sin and we receive the power of the Holy Ghost. And we produce the fruit of a repentant life. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there's no law. That is the fruit of the Spirit. We all talk about wanting to demonstrate the power of the Spirit, right? Miracles, signs. Who wants to lay their hands on the sick and see them get healed? Amen. Right? We all want to see that. If you want to see that, I'm going to tell you the secret of how to do that. Live holy. Bear the fruit of a repentant lifestyle. And watch how God will prepare to use you. Amen? Verse 4. Samuel did what the Lord said. We can stop right there. He did exactly what the Lord said. Tonight, some of you need to do what the Lord is telling you to do. You feel conviction in your heart. And that's the Holy Spirit. He loves you. Condemnation says, don't go up there. You'll be embarrassed. What about what other people will think about you? Who cares what they think? They didn't die for you. Jesus did and he loves you. And he allows you to feel conviction because he's like, Oh, I want to draw him, I want to draw her closer to me. Because if you can carry the heart of Jesus, then you could be effective to bring transformation in your generation. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And you'll anoint the one. He went to the elders, to the town. And the elders... Samuel had such authority that when he's walking in the town, it said that they trembled at his coming. Why? He was a man who walked with God. He was a man who knew God's voice as a little boy under the tutelage of Eli, who really wasn't listening to God much anyway. And then what happened? He hears the voice of the Lord, and he becomes a prophet. He becomes one of the most important leaders in Israel's history. Because he learned how to hear the voice of God, and he did not stray. And he kept doing what thus said the Lord. And they said, do you come peaceably? He said, peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves, prepare yourselves, and come with me to the sacrifice. You see, when somebody walks free from rejection and walks free from abandonment, they start walking in boldness and authority. They start walking in power. They start walking around not intimidated. They start walking around not being ashamed of God anymore. They start talking about Jesus because they know that he did something for them that nobody else could do. And they live in a holy fear of the Lord. And they're motivated by the great love of the Father for them. And they say, I will do anything for you because you're the lover of my soul. Verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance in choosing who the next king of Israel would be, or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. Friend, God, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. If your heart is clean and pure and holy and hungry, and waiting and living for Jesus in the secret, I promise you God will open up doors for you. I promise you God will prepare the way for you. I promise you that God will lift you up when you're ready. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Verse 8, So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen all the brothers of Jesse. The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest and there he is, you know, he's, he's with the sheep. He's not really that impressive. He's not that big. He's not that strong. He's out there with the sheep all day. He talks to himself a lot. He's singing songs all the time. We don't know what he's even singing. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him. For we will not even sit down until he comes here. My friend, if you will get free from rejection and know that you are accepted in the beloved of the Lord and you get freed by the love of God into your destiny, into your purpose, you're going to value what the Lord has done and the resurrected Jesus will manifest himself in and through your life. Even when you least expect it. We're not even going to sit down. He brought him in. Now he was ruddy. With bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said arise and anoint him. This is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil. And anointed him in the midst of his brothers. Who were probably shocked that they were not chosen. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose and went to Ramah. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Once the Spirit of the Lord was put on David, it had already departed from Saul. I'm going to tell you one of the worst experiences in my life is when I was a youth pastor in the state of Delaware, and I was addicted to pornography. And for three and a half years I struggled and I wanted to get free and I was trying to do whatever I could to get free but I was still very selfish and prideful and holding on to that slave, enslavement of sin and I didn't want everybody to know. I was embarrassed, full of shame and I thought if they find out they will reject me. So I became more concerned about what people thought instead of what God thought. And so we did a big youth lock-in. I don't know if you guys do lock-ins ever before, where we have all the young people come and stay at the church and we lock the door. (laughs) And we spend all night long, we did all kinds of games, and then we had a service. And during the service we had worship and everything, it was great, and then I was supposed to bring the message. And I was bringing a message and I, you know, was living this double life so I was never fully confident in what I was saying. But we had 225 teenagers there. And I was surprised at how many came. And at the end, I said, well, maybe I'll give an altar call. And I gave an altar call and 80 plus teenagers come running forward. And I heard the voice of the Lord, as clear as I ever heard. He said, they're not coming because of your preaching. They're coming because I'm drawing them to myself. In other words, I am bypassing you to get to them. Because I know who you are in secret. That was one of the most painful things I ever experienced. And nobody knew I was experiencing that, except me and God. To feel like, because I was the man of God, I was the youth pastor, I had a title, I had a salary, I had, you know, all these young people who valued me. I had the church who always would say, oh, Pastor Eric, you're doing such a wonderful job. But what they didn't know is that I was living a double life. And when that experience happened, it was just several months later in August of 1997 that I ended up standing in front of the church and repenting in front of 500 people for my secret lifestyle of sin. I didn't care what people thought anymore. I was so done with sin. I had come to the end of myself. And when I repented and walked down the aisle, I went to meet Casey at the back door We were only married eight months. I didn't even know she would stay with me. Now next January, we'll be married 27 years. I'm walking down the aisle. People are crying. And nobody knew that was going to happen. And I feel like chains with hooks in my flesh have been pulled off of me. And I get to that back door and I look at Casey and I say, Casey... I don't know what just happened, but I know I'm free. There's a prophetic brother in the USA. I met him in 2020, right before all the lockdowns. His name's Jeremiah Johnson. We had never met before. I was invited to share at his school in one of their classes. So I sh- before the class, I went to his office with him. It was just me and him. I didn't really know much about him and I asked him to pray for me. And you know what he prayed? He's never heard my story, never heard me share my testimony. He knew I was a missionary to the Philippines. He laid his hands on me and he says, I hear the Lord saying, you've been very faithful in the Philippines. He said, but I see you specifically taking chains off of people and pulling hooks out of their flesh. The same way I have always described my testimony That took place in August of 1997. And I thought only God would have known that. I mean, I've shared my testimony publicly in front of thousands of people. There's no more shame here, my friend. There's no more rejection. There's no more abandonment. There's freedom, there's wholeness, there's purity, there's eyes for only my wife. There is hope. There, I have five kids that are in love with Jesus. And I look at it humbly. I'll be worshiping sometimes in my car, just driving and just weeping, thanking God for his grace upon my life. Things could have been different. But I responded to humility and brokenness. And now, it's producing fruit, not only in me and my wife and my family, but in many people that we've poured our lives out for. And I want to tell you, it was hard not knowing if we'd even be able to come back to the Philippines. We had no idea. I'm like, Lord, this is where we live for 17, 18 years up until that point. What should we do? I heard nothing. When God doesn't give you any other direction, you keep doing what you know to do. I said, okay, we'll just wait. And then one day, the Lord opened the doors and we got on a plane and came back here. And when I landed in Davao City, I felt like I was starting all over again. You see, because I have this fire in my heart. I have this sense of destiny and purpose that I didn't have when I was living in rejection and abandonment. But when you get free from that, all you want is for other people to experience what you've experienced. The spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servants said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who was a skillful player on the harp. And it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit of God comes upon you, and you shall be well." So Saul said to his servants, Provide me now a man who could play well and bring him to me. Then one of the servants said, Look, I have seen the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war. We're talking about the boy David, who has no experience except killing a lion and a bear. And taking care of sheep. But God says. Because his heart is after me. He's qualified. To be used by me. Prudent in speech. Handsome in purpose. Person and the Lord is with him. Therefore, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat and sent them by his son David to Saul. So David came to Saul and stood before him, a teenage boy, probably skinny, (laughs) probably a little bit intimidated. Maybe his voice cracked. And here he is standing before Saul. Who is being tormented. And Saul loved him greatly. And he became Saul's armor bearer. Then Saul sent to Jesse saying, Let David stand before me. He has found favor in my sight. And so it was. Listen. Last verse. Whenever the Spirit of God was upon Saul, that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, and a distressing spirit would depart from him. Friend, the distressing spirit didn't leave because he was a skillful player only. The distressing spirit left because David was free from rejection. Do you hear me? Saul was bound by rejection. There's people around you and your family, your friends, where you live, that are bound by rejection. And your acceptance and knowing who you are in Christ is key to their personal revival. If you do not demonstrate the kingdom by walking in freedom, then those living in darkness will never see a great light. You are called to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. You. But you cannot be that simply because you go to church. You be that because you're a disciple of Jesus in church and outside of church. Dag Heward Mills once said, One of the greatest forms of direction for your life is rejection. That sounds a little odd, doesn't it? One of the greatest forms of direction for your life is rejection. What does he mean? If we're bound to rejection, then it destroys our identity. If we are free from rejection, then when we're rejected, we give that rejection to Jesus since he was rejected for us and has freed us from all forms of rejection. Jesus accepts us as sons and daughters and turns us into kings. Experiencing rejection as a son or a daughter reveals who is against us and who is for us. Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. Therefore always look at life from the inside of being in Christ. And the only thing rejection will do for you is make you more aware that the Holy Spirit is leading you into all truth. What does that guy's quote mean? One of the greatest forms of direction in your life is rejection. is because when a Christian is rejected, they bear the nature and character that Jesus Christ shed for them. He empowers them. You don't have to be bound, you don't have to be cut down anymore, you can be free. You can be free from word curses tonight. You can be free from abuse. You can be free from hopelessness, depression and suicidal thoughts. You can be free from homosexuality, from pornography, from lying, from cheating, from stealing. I know 80% of the time, if I ask somebody in the Philippines, are you a Christian, they're going to say yes. And I always ask them, oh, okay, you're a Christian. Then I say, what did Jesus save you from? And then many of them say, sin. Sounds like the right answer. And I'll say, oh, okay, what sin specifically did Jesus set you free from? Most of them cannot answer that. You know why? Because if you don't have a personal testimony of encountering God for yourself, then you don't know what to tell people you've been set free from. The general understanding of being set free from sin is not enough. You need to have an encounter with God. You need to know that freedom is for you. Freedom is now. It's not for tomorrow. You need to know that this is not the end game. Right here. Look at this. This is dead. But look at this. Mmm, smell that right there. Oh, it's nice. Look at that. What do you think that red one there looks like? That's Jesus to me. You see, because when Jesus was cut down for you and me, he begins to make other people beautiful. And see, in heaven, I believe it's going to be the most beautiful place that we could ever imagine. And it's not beautiful just because of flowers. It's beautiful because of redeemed hearts and minds this is what you and I should look like we should not look like this anymore because Jesus died and he rose again and he lives forever he is alive thank you for listening to revival cry with Eric Miller please subscribe, rate, and write a review for this podcast on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To find out more or partner with our missions work around the world, please visit us at revivalcry.org. I look forward to being with you next week.